Take your Bibles out, if you would, with us this morning, and turn in your Bibles to John chapter 13 this morning for the first portion of God's Word. John chapter 13 this morning within your Bibles. If you'd like to follow along and take notes, if you're one of those... Uh, that like to fill in the blank, we have that for you. If you don't have one, lift up your hand and the ushers will expeditiously get you one. Ushers, give us help here this morning. What makes a woman a super mom? You know, there's incredible misconceptions, misunderstandings. There's incredible myths that are out there when it comes to what a super mom really is. Some, when they imagine a, a super mom, they uh, imagine, you know, uh, a retro mom uh, from some TV show of the 1950s, like June Cleaver from the TV show Leave It to Beaver. Some of you know that better than you know your Bible. Oh, Father Knows Best, or the Mommy on Lassie, sure. Others today in our culture, when you talk about a super mom, they have this kind of image that comes to their mind. It's the woman that does it all. I mean, she has a career, she keeps the home together, she is a wonderful mom to her children. It reminds me of a 1970s TV commercial. She brings home the bacon... She stirs it up in a, and makes you feel like a man. Yeah, you got it. Sure. While others have this image of a super mom, I mean, she makes real biscuits from scratch. She appears instantly anytime one of the kids say, Mom, she's always answering the phone. Anytime it rings, she always uses coupons, not the online stuff. That's too easy. She still cuts them out of the newspaper. That's right. A super mom always has time for everyone. She makes sure all the kids, every child, gets straight A's. She never gets sick. She always keeps her house, herself, her children immaculate. And she treats her hubby husband like a king. You beat Pastor Hal. I was waiting for Pastor Hal on that one. Between all the misunderstandings, the misconceptions, all the motherhood myths, for many moms, you know, Mom's Day can be a discouraging one uh, because we feel like we don't measure up. But again, that comes from a faulty understanding of what a super mom really is. This morning, as we continue our series, we're on a series, we're studying the characters of the Bible, especially the heroes of the faith. I've named this series Superheroes. Uh, and it's all about how can you be, how can I be a superhero before God, in God's eyes, not the world's eyes. So this morning, in that context, uh, let's talk about 
how to be a super mom. Let's reveal what makes a super mom by, by exposing some, some common mom myths. We'll, we'll tell you what a mom is not before we tell you what a super mom is. But I don't only want to talk to the moms here this morning. I want to talk to the men as well. This is a word for both uh, uh, the guys and the gals here this morning. Let's all discover how to be superheroes unto God this morning as we share super mom. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, grant us ears to hear and hearts to receive what you are saying to us through your word this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Okay, you're ready for myth number one? Myth one is this. Mothering is easy. <laughs> Mothering is easy. You heard about the husband who every day when he went to the office to work, he envied his wife. He thought to himself as he drove through the traffic and went to the office, oh, if I could just have the kind of life that she has, to be able to stay at home. She probably sits on the couch eating chocolate, watching soap operas all day. If she only understood what I have to put up with at the office. So he went on his knees in prayer, and he said, God, you're the God who makes a way where there seems to be no way. Could you switch our roles? Could you open the door for her to get my job? And then I want to have her job at home. Next morning woke up and the roles had been reversed. She now had his job at work and he now had her job at, at home. And... First thing, 7 a.m., he cooked breakfast. He dressed the kids. He packed their lunches. He drove them to school. He picked up the dry cleaning. He did the banking. He did the grocery shopping. He paid all the bills. He cleaned the cat's litter box. He bathed the dog. Uh, he made the kids' beds. He did all the laundry. He vacuumed. He dusted the furniture. He mopped uh, all the tile floors. Uh, then he picked up the kids from school. He settled their arguments and played psychologist in the car as they were fighting. He helped each one with their homework. He prepared dinner. He set the table after dinner. He cleaned the kitchen. He put the dishes in the dishwasher. He finished the laundry. He bathed the children. He put them to bed and exhausted. He fell into bed at the most early hour of his life, seven o'clock, dead to the world. Woke up the next morning and said, oh God, oh God. I've learned my lesson to watch what I pray for. Oh God, if there's any way, change it back to the way it was. Oh God. He heard a voice from heaven. I've heard your prayer, my son. Indeed, you have learned your lesson. And I will change things back. But my son, you will have to wait Nine months for my son. I have made you pregnant. <laughs> Nine months. 
Mothering is backbreaking, heart-wrenching, anxiety-producing, gut-wrenching of all experiences, and that's just getting the kids ready for school in the morning. How much would you have to pay mom for all that she does if you compensated her? Salary.com. You can Google this. Salary.com does this study each and every year. Their most recent findings, 2016, and uh, they have noted that a stay-at-home mom wears many hats. Uh, the stay-at-home mom is the family CEO, the daycare provider, the housekeeper, the laundry machine operator, the chauffeur, the chef, the social uh, activities coordinator. Uh, she's the banker, the educator, the facilities director, the psychologist and a zookeeper. <laughs> they have estimated that a fair wage, according to 2016 research, a fair wage for the typical working mom, I'm talking about the mom who works outside the home. And by the way, recent research indicates that moms who work outside the home still do 90% of the housework. The typical working mom, in addition, in addition to what she makes outside the home, dad, hubby, you should be paying her $90,223. But how about the stay-at-home mom? What should she be compensated? $143,102 for all that she does. Hubby, you better treat her real good today. I mean really good. True super moms. We're talking about super moms. True super moms aren't eating uh, uh, bonbons sitting on the couch watching Wheel of Fortune. Super moms know how to make uh, something for supper other than dinner reservations. Why? Because they care. Why? Because they're other-centered. Why? Because they have a servant's heart. Do you? Superhero dynamic number one that applies to all of us. God's superheroes follow Christ's example. They're determined to serve others rather than be served. In John chapter 13, what's the context of this chapter? John chapter 13. In John chapter 13, the place is the upper room. The city, Jerusalem. The occasion, the Last Supper, and Jesus has 19 hours left to live. What would you do if you had 19 hours left to live? Who would you like to be with if you had 19 hours left to live? What would you like that time to be like? My Bible and your Bible tells us that the Last Supper was not a happy occasion. Whether than a, rather than making Jesus comfortable, it was contentious. My Bible and your Bible says that the disciples were arguing about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Peter is over in the corner boasting, you guys, you guys will all run out on Jesus, but I'll stick with him to the end. Pride was there. And who also was there? planning in his heart and his spirit, his mind, and how he was going to betray Jesus. What else was there in that room? 
Your Bible says in John 13 in that room, there was a basin. There was a bowl. There was a pitcher of water and a towel. Why? I don't want to get gross with you, but the roadways, the pathways of the ancient world did not enjoy a sanitary sewer system like we are all used to in our modern culture. I don't want to get gross with you, but the pathways, the roadways, the footways of the ancient world were the sanitary sewer system. You walked in it. So it was completely customary that when anyone entered your home, you would immediately have a servant wash their feet. The Jews were fastidious about this because they were neat freaks. It was a part of the Levitical law to purify, to cleanse. Not only wash the hands, but wash the feet. Yet my Bible says in John 13 that the bowl of water and the towel remained there, neglected, ignored. None of the disciples would take up the task of a servant. So who took up the task of a slave? Who took up the task of a servant? Who was ready to, 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 to wash between the toes, the mud, the, the grime, the filth? Who? The one who created the billions upon billions of galaxies, each with billions of stars and planets each. The one before whom the angels bow in reverence and cry out, Holy! And the demons flee in terror. He took off his robe and he wrapped himself with a towel and he washed the feet of those who were arguing and boasting and he even wiped between the toes of the one who was about to sell him for 30 pieces of silver and betray him to death. He washed his feet. We say, this should not be. Those hands are about, uh, about to be driven through with spikes upon a cross. Those hands should not be cleaning between toes. Why did Jesus do it? More than why did Jesus do it, the Bible calls us to do it. Philippians chapter 2, hear the word of the Lord. Your attitude should be the kind that was shown us by Jesus Christ, who, though he was God, took upon himself the form of what? A servant. And he humbled himself even further, going so far as actually to die a shameful criminal's death on a cross. Yet it was because of this 
that God raised him up to the heights of heaven and gave him a name which is above every other name that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. Give him praise and glory this morning. Yes. Jesus didn't come to be served, but he came to serve. Will you? Will you put the needs of others before your own? Will you find a need here in our congregation or our community, no matter how small? Will you find a need and fill it? I was just in our Solid Rock Cafe service, our coffee house service. And there sitting before me is dear Mary Harper, one of our members of the church. Over to my left is Yvonne Callahan, one of our elders here at the church. Every week, those two girls... Go to a place that I'll just tell you, I'm not standing in line to go to. But they go every week. Macomb County Jail, the women's jail, there to minister to those women one on one and not only speak Jesus to them, but be Jesus to them. This week, my dear wife came to me. And she said, God spoke to me. You need to understand, Becky at heart is a shy person. I'm the one with the big mouth. And the reason I knew that this was God, because this is not Becky, she said, God told me to go to Shelby Township Police Department and make myself available to them for ministry in our women's ministry here at Lakeside. And I was introduced to the police officer who has the responsibility to guard our church. And he, he has the responsibility to protect this area. And he, she said a tear came to their eyes when they found out I wanted to be of a blessing that our church wanted to be of a blessing. They begin to share there's so much animosity in the culture right now against the police. Thank you, thank you. Our families need your prayers. Our children need your prayers. We need your prayers. And Becky is searching for ways and you can help her if you'd like to be a part of our church being a blessing to the Shelby Township Police Department. What am I talking about? Find a need and fill it. I, I just came from Solid Rock Cafe and I'm walking down the hallway and I look into a Sunday school classroom and one of our 20-something young men, Joe Boya and his assistant, are in there teaching Sunday school, investing the Word of God into little school children. Why is Joe there? Because he wants to be a servant of the Lord. He wants to find a need and fill 
fulfill it and be found faithful to God. Listen, when this whole thing's wrapped up, it's not how big of a church you pastor. It's not how big of a business that you're the CEO of. It's not how much money you make or what kind of car you drive. On that day of days, we're going to hear this. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Or we're going to hear, depart from me. I know you not. But Lord, I healed the sick in your name. I cast out demons in your name. I preached in your name. I know you not. Depart from me. Depart from me. There's no middle ground in this. We're either other-centered. We're either servants finding a need and filling it. We're either letting Jesus be Jesus in us. Or we're failing to be what God has really called us to be. Superheroes. Oh, they're servants. Next myth this morning. Mothering is for losers. Losers. Our liberal feminazi culture has declared that motherhood is for women who can't do anything else. I wonder where they would be without a mother. Ever think that? Listen, nothing on the earth is more holy. Nothing on this earth is more successful, more lofty, more godly than being a super mom unto God. The world might applaud women who become CEOs and politicians. God bless them. But God's word paints the portrait of the ultimate mother uh, and the ultimate mother who's faithful in raising her children unto God. Hear me in this is the ultimate success story in the eyes of God. Nothing is more praiseworthy, nothing is more lofty than a woman who fulfills God's highest calling in her life when she becomes a mother. One of the greatest descriptions uh, of a super mom is found in Proverbs 31, verse 26. When she speaks, her words are wise, and kindness is the rule for everything she says. Did you hear that? A true super mom is not some trash-talking uh, 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 woman who can outcuss a marine drill sergeant. You know, you know how some people can make you glad. You know, when they come, you love being in their presence. They make you glad when you, they, they come. And you know how some people can make you glad when they go. Are you with me in this? Huh? You're always glad to be in the presence of a super mom because they're encouragers. They fill your life with hope. They let us know we can climb any mountain. We can conquer any giant. They let us know that we can realize our dreams as we do our best. They encourage us. They are our greatest cheerleaders. A teacher, get a hold of this, a teacher sent uh, her student, Tommy, a teacher sent her student, Tommy, home with a note to give his mother. This is what the note said. Your child 
Tommy, your child is dumb. Your child is dumb. When was the last time you got a note like that? Can you imagine? The mother sent back a note to the teacher. You just don't understand my boy. You don't know how to encourage him. I'm going to teach him. I'm going to encourage him to climb the heights of success. Tommy went on to be one of the world's greatest success stories, all because of his mommy. You say, so what? Well, you need to know his last name. His last name was Edison, like in Thomas Edison. His lights are on because of a mommy who was an encourager, an encourager. John chapter 16, verse 33, talk about encouragement. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. I mean, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. You're going to have trouble, you're going to have problems, you're going to have vicissitudes, you're going to have tribulation. But be of good cheer. Now you're awake. I've got an encouraging word for you, Jesus is saying. I have overcome the world. There's no fear. You can do it. You can make it. You can climb that mountain. You can conquer that giant. I make a way where there seems to be no way. Encouragement. That leads us to superhero dynamic number two. God's superheroes are determined to be encouragers. Encur are you an encourager? The Bible says, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, therefore encourage one another. Build each other up just in fact as you are doing. We live in a world that's desperate for encouragement. I mean, we are rubbing shoulders with people that cut us down, ridicule, mock us, criticize us, and condemn us. And some husbands live that way with their wives. One wife had had it up to here with her husband's criticisms, cutdowns, and condemnation. So she said to him, and she said about him, she wrote a poem about him. He didn't like the casserole. He didn't like my cake. He didn't like my biscuits. He said they were too hard, not like his mommy used to make. I didn't perk the coffee right. He didn't like the stew. I didn't mend his socks like his mommy used to do. I pondered for an answer as I was looking for a clue. Then I turned around and smacked him, just like his mommy used to do. <laughs> Dr. James Peterson, the marriage specialist, professor of USC, of sociology, completed an extensive study of couples married for more than 20 years. This is his conclusion. Only six, only six out of 100 couples are said to be fulfilled, loving marriages. The key ingredient, why only six? The biggest reason, the lack of encouragement. The lack of encouragement. Again, people are hungry for encouragement. They're desperate for encouragement. Encouragers fill our lives with hope. If you're an encourager, if you're a superhero before God, you speak hope 
and God confidence into people's lives. When somebody comes to you, encourager, and says, I'm feeling like a failure. I feel like I, I can't do anything right. You can speak a word into them. You can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens you. When you feel paralyzed and demoralized, when you feel like that you just can't make it from square one, you need to find an encourager who will speak the word of God into your life and declare, don't get tired of doing what is right, for after a while you'll reap a harvest, a blessing, if you don't get discouraged and give up. <laughs> Be not weary in well-doing, for you will reap in due season. Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as your labor is not not in vain. If you feel this morning like uh, you're being attacked by the very forces of hell and what you're dealing with right now comes from the pit of hell, I'm, I'm talking about it senses and feels like as though it's satanic. Find an encourager who can speak into your life and declare, greater is he that's within you than he that's within this world. Lift up your head, square your shoulders. We're on a highway to heaven. The best is yet to come. I'm talking about encouragement. Are you an encourager? Are you an encourager? Superheroes are encouragers. Supermom myth three, mom's most important role. Here's a good one for you. Mom's most important role is family cook. Don't you dare say amen. No, mom's most important role is being the prayer warrior. The prayer warrior of the home. Super moms are praying moms. The superhero of the Bible I point you to this morning, you need to read her whole story. 1 Samuel chapter 1, her name is Hannah. Hannah. There's only one chapter in the Bible, and not even the whole chapter talks about Hannah. She has a small part, but she played a huge role. Hannah, Hannah could not have children. Hannah was barren. She was unable to birth children. But she believed in miracles. And she believed in a God who answers prayers. She hunkered down in prayer and she invaded spiritual darkness and hopelessness in prayer and she touched the heart of God. She got so desperate for a miracle in prayer, the priest thought that she was drunk. And she say, he said, woman, get out of here. Get out of God's tabernacle. Why are you drink? Why are you drunk? She says, I'm desperate for God. I'm drunk in his spirit. And she said, oh God, give me a son. I believe that you can give me a son. And if you will give me a son, I will dedicate him to you all the days of his life. That's right, mom. That's right, dad. You own nothing. Those children are not yours. They're a gift from God. Your part is to manage and be a good steward of that child, to be a good father of that child, a good mother of that child. And on that day of days, he's going to ask for a report on how things went. 
That's right, you can't force their will, but you can do all that you can do to make sure that they're pointed in the right direction. This woman of God, she birthed in prayer the impossible. She birthed in prayer her greatest heart need and prayer need, and God heard it, and God made it possible. You see, apart from him, you can do nothing, but with him, all things are possible to them that believe. Amen? She birthed the miraculous and then dedicated that child all the rest of his days to God. That's what prayer warriors do. That's what super moms do. They birth uh, uh, the miraculous, uh, a heart change of their children. They pray that their children will be women and men of God, dedicated unto his purposes, dedicated unto his calling. Super moms join hands with the greatest prayer warrior of all. Who's the greatest prayer warrior of all? Jesus. What's Jesus doing in heaven right now? Huh? Is he playing a harp with the angels? Huh? Is he resting on some cloud somewhere? Is he twiddling his thumbs, sitting in the throne, wondering, oh, what's going to happen to planet Earth? What's going to happen next? No, my Bible and your Bible says in Hebrews 7.25, therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to do what? To intercede for them. Nail-scarred hands are being lifted up before the throne of the Father right now. And Jesus is praying for you. And Jesus is praying for me. He ever lives to intercede for us. I am a product of prayer. On both sides of my family, all the fathers, the uncles, the grandfathers, have all been in the full-time ministry, namely pastors, preachers. My grandfather pastored for 50 years, and so did my dad. One of the places that my dad pastored, or I should say my granddad pastored, was Bad Axe, Michigan, where my dad grew up as a teenager, and where my dad desperately fell away from God. I mean, in a huge way. He's told me some things, some things he'll never tell me. It got so bad that my grandpa, his father, who is a big, big man and never got emotional, sat down with my father and busted out crying. He says, Davy, Davy, you're going to go to hell and you're ruining our ministry. You're making a mockery over everything that I preach and teach. For a pastor, the greatest sermons that he will ever preach is how his kids turn out. Davy, you're ruining our ministry. My dad, when my grandpa said that to him, doubled up his fist and pointed it under my grandpa's chin and said, I don't need you. 
I don't need mom. I don't need your church. And I don't need your Jesus. And walked out on him. My grandma would station herself at the back door of the church every Sunday morning. And as my dad would go out, she would be the last. He, would see, she would, he and she would see each other. And she would cry out, Oh, Davy, Davy, don't turn your back on God. Come back to Jesus. Didn't work. My grandma, Christ who died when I was eight years old, she was 58, she would end every service instead of being at the back door. She would crawl under the piano, the grand piano. And that became her prayer closet. And my dad would have to leave every service hearing my grandmother wail and cry so that everyone could hear, especially dad, crying out, God, save my son. As she stood in the gap and interceded for the lost soul of my father. My dad could drive you up to Badex and show you on the pavement of the very sidewalk the exact spot where he was walking. This might not be good theology, might not be your theology, but he knows that he knows that he knows that God audibly spoke to him. And finally, at that spot on the sidewalk, in his late teen years, said, David, if you do not give your heart back to me, you are going to hell. It was that night Dad ran down the altar and gave his heart and life to Jesus Christ. And there's been no turning back. No turning back. Fifty years of pastoring. But that's not the rest of the story. Because, because of a grandmother that prayed the price in intercessory prayer as a prayer warrior under a grand piano, your pastor is here this morning preaching to you. And my brother is preaching up here in Imlay City. And my sister this morning is preaching in San Diego, California. And all of our children are serving God. Most of them are in the full-time ministry. Such is the ripple effect, the impact of one person who prays the price in prayer superheroes they're prayer warriors will you be a superhero before God oh if you would write it down God's superheroes are those who pray for others you pray for the sick you pray for the distressed and the depressed but especially for lost souls needing God's grace last myth this morning mothering comes naturally Mothering comes nat just having just having kids makes you a mother. Couldn't be anything further from the truth. Mothers are not born. Mothers are made. Can I hear an amen from the mothers? I want to ask you a question. Who was it that helped ease the pain of every owie? Who took care of the monsters under your bed? Who didn't lose her cool when you threw up on her blouse? Who let you lick the big spoon when, you, when, you, when she was making brownies? Uh, who, who made you a new bed after you wet the bed three times in one night? Dad was mad, but Mom said it was going to be okay. I bear witness to that. 
Who did you go to when the kids at school uh, teased you, cut you down, and beat you up? Whose lap was so comfortable, so warm, so inviting? Whose perfume was so sweet? Come on, tell me, church. Who? Mom. Super moms demonstrate loads of affection, compassion, and forgiveness. One day, the religious leaders. Can you imagine if I was preaching and all of a sudden a bunch of Holy Joe, super spiritual religious leaders dragged in a woman and plopped her down in front of all of you? It happened in John chapter 8. This woman, they said to Jesus, has committed adultery. The laws of Moses declare that she needs to be stoned. How say you, Jesus? It's the only time we ever hear of Jesus writing. He wrote in the sand. I believe he wrote down every one of their sins. And the Bible says Jesus stood up, and Jesus said, He who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped their stones and walked away. The woman is now trembling, I believe, in fear. She senses that she's in the presence of utter righteousness, holiness, sinlessness. One who has the privilege and the right to cast the first stone. But what does he say? Woman, where are your accusers? She says, Lord, no one accuses me. He looked at her and said, Well, neither do I. Go and sin no more. My point is this. How do you respond to the fallen? How do you respond to those who have morally, spiritually failed? Either in this church, our community, or on Facebook. And there's a lot going on in Facebook right now. And your pastor's not naive, even though he doesn't do Facebook. I don't got time for that. Listen, there's enough preachers in this church to preach. There's enough pastors in this church to pastor. Enough elders and deacons, spiritual leadership to give wise decisions when people fall into sin. And even go reprobate. They don't need our preaching. They don't need our condemnation. Hear me in that? Pharisees can be alive and well today, I've noticed. This church is not and neither shall it be ever a showcase of perfect people. We do not have a spiritual metal detector for perfection for everyone that comes in and goes out of this church. This place is a hospital. It's a place of restoration. Galatians chapter 6 declares to us, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help the person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. Hear me in this. 
We're called to restore. We're called to renew. We're called to revive. We're called to refresh. We're called to mend. We're called to make whole those who are hurting. The fallen shouldn't have to go to some confessional booth and unburden their heart to some human priest. That's not in the Bible. It doesn't teach it or report it. They shouldn't have to call some 1-800 number. They should find grace for the fallen, grace for the failed here at Lakeside. 1 John 1-9, you should be able to say to them, if we confess our sins to Jesus, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. They should be able to hear from you and I. There's no pit that is so deep. His love and His grace is deeper still. His grace is greater than all of your sins. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Superhero dynamic number four, God's superheroes. Do you agree with me? Our extensions of his love, his mercy, his forgiveness. Would you agree with me to be a superhero unto God? You're a grace giver. You're a grace giver. You're a grace giver. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. D.L. Moody, that great evangelist of another century, would tell the story of the 1840s gold rush. The gold rush that caused people to go crazy after wealth riches, fame, and fortune. A New Yorker, a man who was both husband and father, told his family, his wife, and his only son, I'm going out to California to seek our fortune. I'll make us rich. I'm going to find gold. And when I do, I'll send for you to come. Months went by. And indeed, he discovered gold. He struck it rich. And he notified his wife to gather up all their belongings, get their only son, and join him in California and make the ocean-to-ocean -ocean journey. She boarded ship in New York Harbor, sailed out in the Atlantic for the long journey, but nightmare upon nightmares, the scream came out in the night. Fire! Fire! Man the lifeboats! And the situation went from bad to worse because the ship was carrying ammunition, a powder magazine. And the captain knew that as soon as the fire would breach the powder magazine, the ship would be blown to smithereens. They quickly manned the lifeboats. And then the nightmare really hit. The lifeboats were not enough. They weren't large enough for all the passengers. The last lifeboat jammed to overflowing, about to capsize, left the ship, the steamship, but all of a sudden, out of the smoke of that burning boat, 
there came the appearance of a mother holding her only son in her arms. It was that mother. And she screamed, don't leave us. Don't leave us. Come back. Come back. We're going to die. Save us. The sailor cried out, I'm sorry. We can't do it. We'll capsize. Please, if just one, we can take one. You make the decision without any hesitation. Take my boy. Here's my son. And as the lifeboat disappeared into the fog, she screamed out to her boy, Son! Son! When you see your father, tell him that your mommy died in your place. Son, remember me. Every time we serve communion, what is etched upon our communion table, do this in remembrance of me. Real love is more than a mommy. Real love hung upon a cross. He became poor that you might become rich. He became forsaken that you might become accepted. He became sin that you would be made holy. He died so that you might live. What do you do with love like that? Bow your heads with me, Father, in the name of Jesus. As every head is bowed and every eye is closed, we pray, come Holy Spirit, knock upon our hearts' doors. And Lord, I pray, call, call children, young people, moms and dads that are away from you like my dad, my father was away from you. Call them to come back home to you this morning. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed this special Mom's Day. And I'm prepared to pray a prayer. It's a prayer of salvation. It's a prayer that will make you right with God. It's a prayer that will cause you to come back to Him, to His love, His grace. It's a prayer that will give you a home in heaven. If you would like to be included in this prayer, I'm just going to ask you to lift up your hand. If you'd like to be included in this prayer, I'm just going to ask you to lift up your hand as a sign of your faith. This has nothing to do with belonging to this church, though we would like that. This is all about joining Jesus. No one will embarrass you. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. Will you demonstrate your faith right now? If you'd like to be included in this prayer, lift up your hand right now so that I can see it. God bless you, Mom. God bless you, Mom. I see those hands. God bless you. How many more this morning? God bless you, sir. God bless you, Mom. I see those hands. God bless you. How many more? Pastor, I want to rededicate my life to Jesus. I lift up my hand as a, an expression of my faith. God bless you, Mom. I see that hand. 
God bless you, Mom. I see that hand. Young person, I see that hand. God bless you. Lift it up high. The important thing is that Jesus sees it. Jesus. You're not where you should be. You're not living for God. You're away from God. You're away from home. You think nobody sees. Nobody notices. God notices. God sees. This is a morning to come back to Him. Tomorrow might be too late. That's right. Beautiful. God bless you, sir. God bless you. Everyone repeat this prayer after me. Especially you that have lifted up your hands. Everyone pray this prayer with me right now. And for you that have lifted up your hands, make this prayer your prayer. Dear Jesus, I come to you right now just as I am. I confess I'm a sinner. But Jesus, you're my Savior. Wash me. Cleanse me. Make me brand new. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead with resurrection life. I want that life, Jesus. A new life. A changed life. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing me, for changing me, for saving me. I receive this as I believe it. Amen. You may put those hands down. Everyone stand with us right now. Everyone stand with us right now. We pray and hope that you'll have a happy Mom's Day. I look forward to greeting you this morning. If you're a guest with us, please fill out a guest card because I would love to send you a postcard from myself and speak blessing upon you this morning. I'd love to get to know you by name. We're going to speak a blessing on our moms this morning. But most importantly, if you lifted up your hand and prayed that prayer, the elders, the pastors will be down front. And we'd like to tell you how to be a part of the family of God. So that's not just the emotion of the moment, so that you'll keep on keeping on for Jesus. Moms, I want to pray blessing upon you right now. Father, I stretch my hand as a pastor upon the mothers of this church. I invoke God's highest favor, His blessing, divine privileges upon them. I pray health. I pray, oh God, the love of family and friends. And most of all, Lord, I pray your sweet presence to encircle them, wrap your arms round about them, and grant them your peace. Now, Lord, we pray that the grace of the Father, the love of the Son, Christ Jesus, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be upon one and all. In the name of Jesus, we pray this. And everyone would say, Amen and Amen. God bless you as you go with God. Have a happy, happy Mom's Day.